Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. When everybody gets up to go to junior church, I always have to check to see if anybody's still in here. I'm glad there's a few. No, I'm too. That's good. Thankful for all the boys and girls in our church. And uh, Josh and Anna have served faithfully in junior church for several years. So I asked them if they wouldn't mind making last week their last week in junior church so they could be in here with us adults this week. They don't get to do that very often. And so I'm thankful, though, that they could be in here with us today and uh, make sure to say goodbye to them tonight. Now, it's not an official goodbye goodbye because, well, I guess it's official, but it's not the actual final goodbye. They'll be here Wednesday as well because the boys have done a lot of memory work this year in Awana. And this Wednesday night, we're having an awards program for the children at 7 o'clock, and they're going to sing, and they're going to quote scripture, and it's going to be a great time as a church. And sometimes you think, well, an awards program, I have to go watch and see other people get awards for things that, you know, that they did. Well, to me, this is a very important time, this Awana Awards program, because we are recognizing these children for all of their work that they've done in God's Word. And you know, when our boys and girls learn about Jesus, it's a help to our whole church. And we want to thank the workers, and we want to recognize the children for all of their effort as well. And so if you're able to be here, I know some of you cannot be here on a Wednesday night, but if you can be here to support them on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we would invite you to come. Yes, it's not the typical service that we might have at the church, but I think it's a very important part of what we do as a church and recognizing and encouraging those children as they continue to memorize God's Word. Well, before we read from Acts this morning, I want to tell you a little story. It's a personal story. There have been a lot of different things that have happened over the last few weeks that caused me to do some reminiscing and thinking back in my life. And I think at different places in your life, you tend to think backwards a little bit and look back at some things that have happened. And I was thinking about, I guess maybe I'm starting to feel old, but 25 years ago, it's hard to say 25 years ago I was even alive, but yes, 25 years ago, I was finishing the seventh grade. I was 12 years old and I was getting ready to turn 13. Boy, that was an exciting time. Some of you who are 12 know what I'm talking about. You're excited to turn 13. Some of you who just recently turned 13, you know that's a big deal. And then you go, well, then I'm going to be 14 then. 15, I might even get a learner's permit. 16, they might even let me drive. And, you know, all these exciting things moving forward in life. But I was thinking back in mind. So 25 years ago, I was finishing seventh grade, getting ready to turn 13 years old. I had a summer job. I would work on Saturdays or sometimes other days during the week for my neighbor. His name was Larry. Not the Larry that's here, but another Larry. And I mowed his grass. And I got paid $12 to mow his grass. And, you know, $12, that was good money. And I would edge it, and I would mow it, and I would trim it all up and blow off all the clippings. And I made it look good for a 12-year-old, I'm sure. And that's really where I learned how to edge a yard straight and do all those things. And I still like to get the weed eater out and make a nice straight edge and make it look good around the yard. And so, um, you know, my yard, though, right now, we missed mowing the last couple of days, and so now we're going into rain, and it's going to be a mess, you know, coming out of it on the backside. But the flowers look good. And I look back to those times as like I was learning how to mow grass and take care of things. I was learning how to take care of stuff around the house. My dad was teaching me things in the garage. I was learning and growing and just growing up like any boy might. And I didn't know all that God was doing in my life or how he was directing me. I, I'm 12. I'm just living life. That summer, I was saving up money to go to summer camp. I was excited because I like going to summer camp. I still like going to summer camp. I met my wife at summer camp. We've taken our kids to summer camp like every year since they were born. I think my kids have the record for riding the zip line from the youngest age at the camp. And like, Finally, they were like, you can't let them ride when they're two years old. I'm like, come on, they can do it. Strap them in. They'll be safe. Just push them off and let them go and fly down there. I, I love going to camp. And I saved up my money that summer as a 12-year-old, then 13. Because my Oh, by the way, just in case you didn't know, 
my birthday is next month. So I was saving, you know, so I turned 13 in the summer, and, uh, and I went to camp. And that week at camp, I heard a message, and God changed my life. Now, at the time, I didn't really think of it as life-changing. And that's often how God's work is. Sometimes you go, oh, I know, this, is, this was a major thing. Sometimes you don't really see it as that at the time. But I look back at that as a very special time in my life. Because one night the preacher who was preaching made, made a comment, something to this. This is not an exact quote, but this was kind of how I remember it. He said, why don't you head in the direction of serving God with your life and let God direct the exact path that he wants you to take? Too many people have come up with ideas of what they want to do and then you know, try to get God to somehow bless their plans. But God doesn't often bless our plans. God blesses His plans. God isn't so interested in in you fulfilling what you want to do. God is working to fulfill what He wants to do. So it was at that time as as an aspiring eighth grader, I remember committing to the Lord, God, I want to serve you with my life. I want to follow you. That's been 25 years. You know, back then, I couldn't have imagined that today, on May the 16th, 2021, by the way, I couldn't even imagine 2021, couldn't even imagine 2000. We hadn't even gone through Y2K yet. This was, this was the glorious 90s. We, we didn't have computers and cell phones. I don't know how we lived back then. We somehow muddled through. We, we didn't know what a flat screen TV was. In fact, when I was real little, we even had a black and white TV. It's not because color TV didn't exist. I'm not that old. It's just my parents. They were, they were tight. They didn't spend money on things like that. Because we didn't need to be sitting around watching TV. Did you know? You kids are going to think this is crazy. RTV, it existed, but it only had little uh, antenna rabbit ears on top, and it lived in the closet. So if we wanted to even watch TV, we had to get it out of the closet and put it on a stand. Now you understand why I'm so strange. <laughs> I didn't watch TV growing up. <laughs> it, it, it was just our life. But you know, I look back now over 25 years to when I was... 12 years old, almost 13, and I think, I think, I'm so thankful for all that God has done in my life over the past 25 years. I couldn't have imagined then where I would be today. Just like if you go back 25 or even five years in your life, you really couldn't imagine where you would be today back then. Why? Because God has a plan. And God is at work in every single one of our lives to accomplish His plan. This morning, the title of the message is Following the Spirit. Following the Spirit. If we're going to go forward, that's our theme for the year, forward. If we're going to go forward for the Lord, we must be careful to follow His Spirit. But I think for many people... We, we don't really understand what that means or what that looks like. But following the Spirit means we're going where the Spirit leads, not where we want to go. But it's amazing when you follow where the Spirit leads, it becomes where you want to be. The longer you walk in following the Spirit, the more you will recognize that being wherever the Spirit is is the absolute best place you could ever be in your life. But following the Spirit doesn't always make sense to you, and it doesn't always make sense to everybody else. The place doesn't always make sense. The time does not always make sense. But God's plan is always the best plan. I took some time to look back 25 years in my life. We've been taking time to study through the book of Acts together. And at the beginning of the book of Acts, 
you see the disciples gathered around Jesus as he gives them his final commission, and then he ascends up into heaven. And they're looking at him and going, what, what do we do now? And the angel said, why, why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? Hey, just like he went, he's going to come again. And so those disciples, along with some 120 total, together gathered up in the upper room to wait for the promised Holy Spirit of God. And God, because He always keeps His promise, He gave them His Spirit, His presence with them, His leadership, His guidance, the the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, the Bible tells us that they were so full of the Spirit, they went out speaking the truth, sharing it with others. Peter stood up, and the day we know is the day of Pentecost, and he preached, and 3,000 people got saved. What a day that was. And God was fulfilling His plan of carrying out the Great Commission, of getting the gospel to the whole world. We looked at this some last week. There were definitely bumps along the way, struggles and challenges. And and we've only just got started with the challenges. If you think you've come through some hard things, go, wow, glad that's behind me. Everything's smooth sailing from here on ahead. Sorry to burst your bubble, but life continues to bring difficulties and challenges, even when you're following the Lord. So the church continued on. They're there in Jerusalem, and God is growing and expanding the church. Yes, there's some difficulties, but God is at work. And then we saw last week how Saul brings that persecution. He begins to take people who claim to be Christians and drag them out of their houses and throw them into prison. He is taking people who proclaim the name of Jesus and putting them to death. How could God allow this? Well, God clearly did. It was because it was part of His plan. And God used that persecution, as we looked at last week, to begin to scatter the believers out, to scatter the church out, to send those people out so that Acts 1-8 could continue to be fulfilled in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And in Acts chapter 8, we see this. It is such a transition point in the book of Acts. Acts 1 through 7 is the beginning all the way through the ministry there in Jerusalem, primarily just in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 8, now the gospel begins to go out to Samaria and to places even beyond. Last week, we looked at how God took the gospel to Samaria, how he took the people from pain to praise, that even with the pain and persecution that God allows in our lives, that he still wants to bring praise to his name as people trust in him. And we saw in Acts chapter 8 and verse 8 how there was great joy that came to that city. We looked at the ministry of Philip as he went preaching the gospel and people were coming to Christ. They turned away from following this guy, Simon the sorcerer, and instead began to follow Jesus Christ as their savior. God was at work. People were being saved. Even in the persecution, God was fulfilling his plan. But look with me, if you will, at verse 26. Because every time it seems like things are really going well and we're able to just get in and sort of quietly shift into neutral and just coast along for a little bit, it'd be nice to have a break once in a while. The Bible tells us in verse 26 that the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. 
They've been in Samaria. That was hard enough. Now they got to go out. Philip has to go to the desert. But Philip doesn't sit here pondering. He doesn't sit around questioning God. Philip doesn't sit around and go, what are you doing now, God? No, look at verse 27. It says, and he arose and went. He went immediately. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning. And sitting in his chariot read Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest what thou readest? If we're thinking about following the spirit this morning, I want you to notice first of all, in our passage, the call of God on Philip. The call of God on Philip. Here Philip is preaching. People are being saved. That's a good thing, by the way. People, instead of following their pagan ways that lead to death and separation from God, are choosing to follow Jesus and trusting in Him as their Savior. They're excited about now having eternal life and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And in the middle of all that, God comes to Philip once again and He calls him and says, I need you to go down to this road that's on the way to Gaza. By the way, Gaza, that's a Philistine city. It was not a nice place. It was a dangerous place. Samaria was not a great place to go as a Jew, but God had already worked there. Now he sends them even past there down to Gaza, an even worse place. And the Bible is very clear to let us know it was in the desert. It was in the desert. I want you to notice the call of God on Philip. See, God called a man. God could have used his angel here to do the work of telling the Ethiopian eunuch about Jesus, but God used his angel to send Philip to go tell the Ethiopian eunuch. Have you ever wondered why God would take Philip away from a successful, thriving, growing, fruitful ministry in Samaria and say, all right, Philip, I'm done with you here. I need you to go down. There's one guy out in the desert. He doesn't look like you. His language is probably a little bit different than you. Definitely his accent would have been. He's in a very different station of life than you. Philip, you really have little to no in common with this guy. But Philip, I want you to go. But I think it's interesting to note here, God's call on Philip. God didn't tell Philip all that stuff when he sent him. I think sometimes when we look at the call of God, we expect it to come with all of the fine print and all the information. And God say, all right, here's what I want you to do. And by the way, it's going to look like this. This is step one, step two, step three, step four, step five. And five years from now, it's going to look like this. And oh, be careful for this. Watch out for that. That's not how the call of God works. Did you notice the call of God here on Philip? It was very simple. Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. That was all he got. God came to him through his angel and said, get up and go. And here's where I want you to go. Well, why? There's not even a place where Philip stops and says, well, why, God? God, is, have you really thought this through, God? God, don't you see what we're doing here, God? God, why would you send me out there, God? No, none of that takes place. All God gives him is the command to go and where to go. I want you to understand in following the Spirit, He generally leads us step by step. Often we're sitting in our seat, or we're living our life over here waiting for God to lay out the whole plan and then I'll do it. After I consider it, make sure I really want to or not. 
But that's why we miss out so many times on the Spirit's leading. Because the Spirit led Philip here in this case. He just said, arise and go. I like that word, by the way. I liked it so much, we named the church after it. Arise, get up, let's go. God called a man. See, God's place, it's always the right place. But you think, oh, I was in Jerusalem. Now, God, you've scattered me out to Samaria through persecution. And then it's going pretty well there. And now you're going to pluck me out of there and stick me over here out in the desert? Remember, Philip doesn't know about the Ethiopian eunuch yet. All he knows is, go to the desert. Have you ever felt like that in your life? God just said, okay, go to the desert. Okay, I must be in trouble. Was Philip in trouble? No. He was doing exactly what God wanted him to do. But haven't there been times in your life as well as in mine when God's put you in a situation, oh, I must be in trouble because I'm over here in the desert. No, you're just right where God wants you to be. And sometimes God needs people in the desert. He sends him to the desert. See, God's place is always the right place. And you know, his timing is always the right time. Think about this. This passage is clear to describe this for us. And I think this is an important point. Did you notice where the Ethiopian eunuch was when Philip met up with him? Where was he, like physically? Not, not the location, but just what was he in or on? He was in a chariot. We know from later on in the passage, we'll read it in a few minutes, this chariot was not standing still. It was moving. Because later he asked them to stand still. Later, Philip has to run even to catch up to the chariot. Isn't it amazing to think that God knows everything so well that he could take one guy on foot sending him south down the road to Gaza and know that he's sending him at just the right instant that he's going to meet up with a guy who's riding along in a chariot and their paths are going to intersect at just the right moment? Have you ever stopped to think about all that God would have to be able to know and do to be able to make that divine appointment happen? God takes two different people who are moving at different speeds. I mean... We could probably sit down and figure out a math equation to figure out exactly what it would take. Michael Flores is nodding at me. He, 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 he could probably do the math for us and figure out exactly at what point, at what speed they were maybe traveling with a horse pulling a chariot along and a guy walking. And if they were both walking at this pace, you know, what it would take to be able to get that aligned at just a specific point. God calls people. God uses people to do his work have you ever thought about that wouldn't it be easier for god to just send an angel because angels can get there right away angels can do things they can do things that we can't do they have power that we don't have why would god send a guy who man he might step on a rock and stub his toe he might step on a thorn and have to limp along for a while he might trip and fall along the way he might get thirsty and have to stop for a drink but God knew all of that and he still sends Philip. God knows all of that and he still calls you and he still calls me and he still uses every one of us in his plan. It's pretty incredible to think about, isn't it? God called a man and God called a man to the desert. To the desert. Away from his fruitful place to a place that may not have made sense to him or anybody else, but to a place that God sent him. There was a missionary, well-known missionary, by the name of David Livingston, who was a missionary in Africa several hundred years ago. And he'd been serving there for a while. People were hearing about what was taking place there. And there was a missionary society, a, a group that was trying to send missionaries out. And they wrote David Livingston a letter. And they said this, have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to know how to send other men to join you. 
Livingston, he wrote back, he said, if you have men who will come only if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come even if there's no road at all. Sometimes following God looks like that. You feel like, well, there's, there's, no, ro- there's no instructions for this. I, all I can do is trust God step by step. One of the statements I said to Shandy over and over is, we were starting the church here four years ago. I said, I want to walk by faith. I want to experience what it is or know what it is to walk day by day by faith. That If we were taking a step and God wasn't there to catch us, we would just fall flat on our face. There's not a road often of where we're going. All it is is trusting God step by step. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But that doesn't mean we're going to be able to see the end of the path from the beginning. What it means is I'm going to see enough light to take the next step. Following the Spirit. It can be, and I think it is, the most thrilling and wonderful thing in life. Because you are walking with the Almighty God of the universe. And you're able to do what He wants you to do. While it's thrilling, it can also be very scary. Even frustrating. It gets frustrating when we try to, wait a minute, God. This doesn't make sense. God, don't you see how near we are to the edge here? God, don't you see how we're not going to be able to take care of this unless you... God, don't you... Yes, God sees all of that. God called a man. He called a man to the desert. But that man obeyed the Spirit's leading. He obeyed. When the angel said, Arise, he arose and he went. God, like Peter, may call you to preach to 3,000. Or he may call you to just go reach one. They're all important to him. Later on, as he's on the path, right? He's going the direction that God sent him to go. It's only when he's on the path that then he sees up ahead of him the Ethiopian in his chariot. Sometimes, well, how am I going to know the next step? Well, take the first step. And God will be with you on the second step. God will lead you from there to where He wants you to be. So they take the first step. Philip takes the first step. He obeys. He gets up and he goes down this road. He doesn't know where. He doesn't know who he's going to. He just knows he's going where God told him to go. As he's going, he sees this guy riding a chariot in front of him. And once again, we see God speak to him. Look at verse 29. It said, Then the Spirit said to Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. There it is. That's what I want you to do. Go get on that chariot. Again, does he really know everything he's doing? He gets up. And he runs and he gets on the chair. Says there in verse 30, and Philip ran thither to him. Once again, I, I love this about Philip. There, there's complete obedience here. Right? When he says, get up and go, he, he arises and goes. When he says, go get on the chariot, he runs up and gets on the chariot. Like, okay, God, are you sure? No, he just does it. What an example for us to consider and follow. See, following the Spirit requires trust. It requires obedience. It requires faithfulness. Not for you to figure everything out, but for you to obey the step God's put in front of you right now. Sometimes we don't experience the leading of the Spirit like we want to because He's leading, but we're not following. He's put something clearly in front of us Maybe it's something in God's Word that you know you're not right about. Like, well, but God, lead me in these other areas, but let me keep this area to myself. I just want to be mad about this for a while. No. 
deal with this sin and trust God then to lead you to the next thing. Sometimes that's how God is working. God's putting you in a situation because he's, he's trying to help you get straightened out. Untwist your situation. We look at things and it's just, it might be a mess. Like, have you ever pulled out your Christmas lights or, or an extension cord that you forgot to roll up properly and it's just this big gnarled mess? For us, it might be the garden hose if it didn't get rolled up and put away properly and you just look at it. But how often? It, literally, it's just a matter of moving a couple strands in the right way and then the whole thing just opens up. But we get so busy in a hurry trying to pull it out, we, we make a, a big mess of the whole thing. See, God may be doing something in your life just to reorient something, just to move something just a little bit this way or a little bit that way, just to change this relationship a little bit this way or a little bit that way, just to put you in a slightly different perspective or position so that now you're able to take the next step. Philip obeyed the Spirit's leading. I want you to see secondly in our story here this morning, the concern of God for sinners. God loves sinners. In fact, the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved this man from Ethiopia. He loved him enough to take his choice evangelist, the man that had been used to reach Samaria with the gospel, and he took Philip. He said, Philip, that's good, but I've got something important for you to do. There's this one guy over here I need you to go tell about me. Sometimes we get caught up saying, well, I know God's going to use me as long as it's in a bigger and better place than where I am right now. Well, God's concern for sinners. God loves every single one of them. Don't think yourself or your situation or God's plan for you as less important just because it includes ministering maybe to less people than somebody else. Aren't you thankful God loves you enough to send one to reach the one you? We forget that sometimes, don't we? Like, well, I mean, of course. No, not of course. You and I are just as sorry as anybody else. We don't deserve it. God loves sinners. God sent this man, Philip, to go tell the Ethiopian about Jesus. I told you I was doing some thinking back in my life. I was thinking about this, that God so loved and Marie Cover, that's my mom, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, and my mom did, she would be saved. She should not perish, but have everlasting life. And God loved her enough that when my mom was 13, as a freshman in high school, a senior in her same school got up and shared the gospel with the high school a guy by the name of Jeff Reason. Today, Jeff serves the Lord in a small church and Christian camp up in Nova Scotia, Canada. You will probably never meet Jeff in this life. But Jeff has had a tremendous impact on every one of you. You say, well, how? Because Jeff was the one that God sent to reach my mom. And guess what? My mom was the one that God sent to lead me to Jesus. Who is the one that God sent to you? But can I zoom back out just a little bit? Because I love thinking about the one. But if you think about this Ethiopian, God loved him enough. He didn't just send one. Because where's this Ethiopian coming from? He's coming from Jerusalem where he went to worship. Why does a guy from Ethiopia go to Jerusalem to worship? We don't even know. He was going to worship Jehovah. Why would he even be thinking about him? At some point, some way along the way, 
God had brought somebody else into that man's life. Do you remember what he was reading? We haven't gotten into it too much yet this morning, but he was reading from the book of Isaiah. Where did he get his copy of Isaiah from? Yes, God sent Philip, but God had already been working in all kinds of other ways because he loved that Ethiopian so much. As you think about your own life, if you have trusted Christ as your Savior this morning, yes, God may have sent one to you that that was the one who was there when you prayed and accepted Jesus, but very likely God had, had all kinds of other people along the way that He was putting in your path. Maybe some you didn't even realize what they were doing or how they were working. Maybe they didn't even really realize that they were just living their life, going about it, but God was using them in such a way to intersect and connect with you and to point you in a direction or to tell you something or say something at just the right time in just the right way to bring you to the point where you too trusted in Jesus. We see God's concern for sinners. Then thirdly this morning there in your notes, I want you to see the conversion by God of the Ethiopian. Look at verse 31. I want you to see the story here with me. God has taken Philip out of this place in Samaria where things are good and sends him to a desert place just so he can meet with the one guy, the Ethiopian. He goes obeying God's command, even though he can't understand it all. He sees the Ethiopian. God says, go join up to his chariot. He does. And now, here's Philip. He's climbed up in the chariot. And he hears the Ethiopian reading Isaiah. Now again, We already talked a little bit about it, but I hate to skip over this again. God's timing is really incredible in all this. That he's literally reading out loud, as Philip hears it, from this specific portion of Scripture right as Philip comes and joins up with him. God is in charge. And it says in verse 31, because Philip asks him, sorry, back in verse 30, do you understand what you're reading? Understandest what thou readest? And he said, verse 31, how can I, how can I understand except some man should guide me? I wonder who that was going to be. And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb, dumb before his shearer. So opened he not his mouth in his humiliation. His judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. That's what he's reading. And and the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet of this? What's Isaiah talking about? That's how it feels sometimes when you read God's Word. What's He saying? What does this mean? I wish I had somebody to help explain it to me. God loved you enough to let you be able to read His Word, but God also loved you enough to send somebody to explain it to you. See, He had read God's Word, but now He was about to be able to hear God's Word. As Philip, the Bible says here, Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture right in this place and he preached unto him Jesus. Jesus. If you want to look this up later, you'd be more than welcome to, but the place in the Old Testament in Isaiah that he was reading from was Isaiah 53. Verses 4 through 6. And it's in those verses where it's described how Jesus had come or would come 
and how Jesus would die for the sins of the world that included the Ethiopian. God's word does not return void. In other words, when it goes out, it always does the work that God wants it to do. There's a great principle for us to understand here that goes along with being led by the Spirit, following the Spirit. It's that Philip was able to open his mouth and begin at the same scripture and preach unto him Jesus. So follow with me the timeline here. God comes to Philip and says, go down on this desert road. Philip goes. He's on the desert road. He sees the Ethiopian. He says, go get on that chariot. Okay, so he goes and does that. As he's getting up to the chariot, he hears the man reading from Isaiah. Oh, what is that? Okay, I know what that is. Let me explain it to you. And he starts from that point and he says, now I'm going to tell you about Jesus. You see, following the Holy Spirit means obeying even when the command is very simple but maybe not complete. It's just this is step one. Okay. And then from there, okay, step two. All right. But following the Spirit's leading also requires that we know and understand the Word of God. Think about this. If you just walked up and you heard somebody reading from Isaiah 53, would you be able to sit down and teach them about Jesus? (laughs) Ah, That's a little bit scary. I understand. I remember one of my questions when I was ordained as a pastor. My pastor from growing up, Pastor Hodges, asked this question. He said, would you be able to lead somebody to Christ without using the New Testament? That's an interesting thought. He said, what about if you come across somebody who is a Jewish person who does not think of the New Testament as part of the Bible? Could you lead somebody to Christ just from the Old Testament? I thought about it for a moment. And I thought, yes, I could. Guess where I went? Isaiah 53. Now, there are other places you could as well. I think it was Charles Spurgeon who said that wherever he's at preaching, he says, whatever text in Scripture, I I begin there and I preach the text, but I always make a beeline for the cross. I I always point people to Jesus because the message of God's Word is pointing people to Jesus. I would tell you this, if you want to follow the Holy Spirit well, you need to be continually growing and studying, growing in your knowledge of and continuing to study the Word of God. There are a lot of people walking around, oh, I think I'm being led by the Spirit. Well, how do you know? Well, I just felt this way. Okay. It's not that God can't use feelings, but I'll tell you this, God never contradicts His Word. So make sure what you're doing is consistent with, in line with, and obedient to the Word of God. How are you going to be able to do that? Well, as Paul wrote, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. A lot of people are in a big hurry to follow the Spirit's leading and do whatever they think they've... Oh, I just think the Spirit... Okay, make sure that's something from the Word. See, Philip knew what to talk about when he sat down with the man. It's not like the Holy Spirit had to come down again in Philip's ear and whisper in his ear, Oh, now's when you're supposed to talk about Jesus. No, because when he heard Isaiah, he just said, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Because that's what was natural for him. Because Philip knew Jesus. Philip trusted in Jesus. Philip wanted to tell people about Jesus. And Philip knew the word of God well enough. He could take it from that point and preach to him Jesus. I would challenge you in your own life, if you really want to 
follow the Holy Spirit's leading. And I think you should. I think it's the greatest thing in all the world. Don't neglect to continue to study and get to know more about Jesus and about the word that tells us all about who he is. Otherwise, you may be out there just kind of floating on yourself, feeling like, I thought I was following the Spirit. Where did I get off? I didn't follow the clear teaching of God's Word. He read about Christ. He heard about Christ. But then, praise the Lord, he received Christ. Verse 36, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? I'm ready to get baptized. And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He believed and he was baptized. What does he do? Verse 38, he, he commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. <laughs> and then look how the Spirit leads once again. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. Isn't it interesting? I mean, I don't want to take too much time on this, but God has led him each step of the way. Now he gets the Ethiopian eunuch. He finds out this Ethiopian is in charge of the treasury for all of Ethiopia, all of Queen Candace's riches. He was in charge of all of her treasures. I mean, I've been out raising support for ministry before. Do you wonder if Philip thought, hey, this is my spot. <laughs> I'm going to stay on this chariot for a long time. I'm going to Ethiopia because I just led one of the richest people to the Lord right here and is going to take care of all my needs. No, the spirit, that wasn't the spirit of the Lord's plan. We don't, I don't want to put thoughts into Philip's head that weren't there. I'm just saying the spirit of the Lord said, no, nope. all right, it's time to go to the next place. And he caught away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more. So he took Philip away, but notice what happened to that Ethiopian man. It says, and he went on his way rejoicing. If you were here last week, that should sound familiar to you. Because back in verse 8 of chapter 8, after those in Samaria heard the gospel and were saved, it says, and there was great joy in that city. There was great joy. Why? Because people were getting their lives changed by Jesus. And there on that day, on that desert road, <laughs> there's that Ethiopian back in his chariot, riding along much as he had been much of the rest of the day. Where he was riding didn't change. The direction he was riding in, the road he was on did not change. But God had changed his life. And he went on his way rejoicing. See, as God leads you along the way, and you can see this also through the book of Acts, God will lead you into different situations. God will allow different pressures in your life. God will allow different problems, things to come up. What are you doing? God will even lead you to people that you'll be sharing the gospel with that will just reject it and won't want to hear it. Not everyone will want the gospel. Not everyone will receive the gospel. But everyone who responds in faith to the gospel, they will rejoice. The gospel brings such joy because it changes your life. So well, how does it change your life? Well, the Bible is very clear. It says, for all 
When the Bible says all, it means all. For all have sinned. And come short of the glory of God. God is holy. He, His glory is absolute perfection. And the rest of us, because of our sin, we've all come short. You may say, I'm a little short. You're short. We're all short of God's glory. But he says this too. And because of our sin, the wages, the payment for that, it's death. It's eternal separation from God. But the gift of God. His gift, His, his free unmerited gift, the thing we don't deserve, but He gives us anyway, if we'll receive it. The, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God loved that Ethiopian man enough to send Philip to him. God loved me enough to send my mom to me. God loved you enough to send somebody to you. But have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? Have you received the gift of eternal life? Have you? Have you trusted in Him? I think that Ethiopian wouldn't have had as much joy if he hadn't received Jesus. He'd probably just gone on kind of confused. This guy showed up out of nowhere, jumped on my chariot, explained something from the Bible to me, and then disappeared. He probably just would go on going, what was that all about? But that wasn't his response. He went on his way rejoicing. Why? Because he received Jesus. Your life may not make a whole lot of sense to you right now. And perhaps it's because you haven't trusted in Jesus. And you haven't asked Him to forgive you of your sin. You've been living life and you thought you had a purpose. You're, you're trying to get something done. Just get through the day. But it just wasn't working right. Maybe you need to trust in Jesus. You need to be saved. And my friend, you may be here this morning sitting and going, well, I know I've been saved. I have trust in Jesus. But your life may not make a whole lot of sense to you either because you're not being faithful just to obey the simple steps and commands that God has put in front of you for day by day living a life that follows the Spirit's leading. Maybe you're here this morning and you have sin in your heart. You know it's there. You're like, oh, let me hang on to this one. I, I, I like this little area of pride. Or, I, I like to hang on. You know, this person did me wrong, Lord. You, you, you got to let me kind of get back at them for a little while. I want to hold this grudge for a while. It feels good. Because then, then when I do wrong, I don't feel so bad about myself because I can throw all their wrong back in their face and say, see, you're no better than me. That's true. But me telling you you're no better than me and I'm no better than you isn't helping either of us. This morning, maybe you need to just confess that to the Lord. Say, God, forgive me for that anger, for that bitterness. God, forgive me for that selfishness and pride. God, help me just to obey you in the clear stuff that you've laid out right in front of me. Because maybe God's trying to bring you to the point to just rearrange where you're at in this moment so that then he's preparing, oh, now I can see where I'm supposed to take the next step. And you feel stuck because there's something clear in front of you from God's word that he showed you you're supposed to do, and you're just not doing it because you're waiting for God to guide and direct. God has already guided and directed you. He's given you his word. It's not something magical or mystical about this. It's just being obedient to what he says to do. It would be kind of like, and let me put in a really mundane illustration for you. It'd be like if I asked my child to say, I need you to go take out the trash. They sit back and they go, well, I'm thinking about it. You know, I'm waiting to see if there's going to be a miracle here. <laughs> you know, may, 
Maybe my dad tell me it's because he wants me to see a miracle happen. So I, I'm just going to sit here and wait, and maybe miraculously my mother's going to do it for me. <laughs> maybe if I sit here long enough, someone else will smell it, and they'll take it out, and then I won't have to. And that's God's leading. Trevor, you better watch out, or you're going to be in trouble when you get home. Right? Maybe if I just sit here and wait, then it's going to be taken care of when you know full well and good that this is your job and this is what you should be doing and God's given you something that you need to obey Him in right now and you're just sitting there, well, waiting for the Spirit's leading. Well, He's already led you. He said, well, I wish He would lead me in some other stuff. He's led you maybe as far as He's going to take you until you'll take that step of obedience. God sometimes does do it. God's so merciful. He's so good. I'm not trying to put a box around God and tell you how He always works. I'm just saying, don't presume upon the Lord. Don't assume just because you have some big plans and you're trying to do something that God somehow has to bless that. Don't sit there frustrated and angry and upset with God because things haven't worked out all your way. Just... Sit back and look at God's Word and get alone with God, like we sang, look full in His wonderful face and say, Lord, if there's something wrong in my life, and I would ask you to do that this morning as we finish up here. God, if there's something in my life that needs to change, show me, Lord, because I want to change it. God, if there's a step that you need me to take, show it to me so I can take it. And God, if you'll show me, I'll take it. God, give me direction on just the next step. God, I know you're going to take about all that stuff. You're going to take care of all that stuff in the future. I'm not supposed to worry about that. God, I'm just asking you to help me take the next step. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Because I just want to have some quiet time in our own hearts. Lord, I've done my best. But Lord, this is not my service. This is your service. Lord, this is not my word. This is your word. This is not my church. It's, it's your church, Lord. And Lord, I confess to you that I often sit in my office or walk around and think to myself, well, this seems to make sense. This ought to go over here and this person over there. And if, if this would just get rearranged, then this could move forward. And I've got lots of thoughts, lots of vision. But Lord, more than all that, we just need you. I need you. Father, there may be somebody here today. You know their hearts. I don't, but I think very possibly there is someone or maybe several people here today that have never trusted you. They're they're like that Ethiopian who's just riding along, doing their thing, going their direction. They're here today, so they're at least considering your word but they've never trusted you. And I pray that you would take your word this morning and make it clear in their hearts and in their minds through the power of your spirit that they would trust you as their savior. I'm going to pause my prayer here for just a moment and ask that question because I'd like to include you in my prayer. If you're here this morning and you would just Be humble enough to be willing to slip your hand up and say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm not sure that I am saved. Would you pray for me this morning? I do want to know more. Is there anybody like that at all that says, I want to know what it is to have a personal relationship with Christ. I'd like to pray for you. Everybody's eyes are closed. I'm just looking at anybody. All right. Lord, you know their hearts. I pray that you would direct us. Lord, if there's somebody here that's not trusted in you, I pray that you'd continue to make that clear to them that they need to be saved. Lord, there's others here today, many probably who claim to know you, and yet in their own lives may have things that they've been holding on to that they need to confess, that they need to trust you with, that they need to obey you in. I pray that this morning they would do that. Let me ask a second question here. Is there anybody that would, again, be willing just to raise their hand for a second and say, 
Pastor, would you pray for me? There's some things, I've, I've been struggling. I, maybe you're not even sure what it is, but just, Pastor, pray for me. I want to follow the Lord. I want to experience His leading in my life, and I know I haven't really experienced it like I should. Would you pray for me this morning? Amen. Many hands. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet and have the pianist play. And I'm going to invite you to come. We do this at our church. It's just a way to come up front, not to make a show, but just for you to, in your commitment to the Lord to just walk out, kneel down here and pray and talk to the Lord. And I'm going to invite you to do that this morning if God has spoken to your heart. Lord, help us now as this invitation continues that we be faithful to follow and obey your leading. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.